If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. We're very glad that you're here. Or if it's your first time in a long time, uh, we've been working through a series for the last several weeks where we've been looking at different encounters that Jesus has had throughout the Gospels. One of the things that we have noticed after every uh, time that somebody encounters Jesus, they leave that encounter not the same. And so we've been sharing some of those encounters and really just kind of seeking to apply them to our lives today. As we encounter Jesus, whether it's for the very first time when we gave our life to him or whether it was this week in your personal time with Jesus or maybe it was at some event or, 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 or some retreat or some work project, whatever the case may be, what happened when you encountered Jesus? How did you leave there not the same? And so that's kind of what we've been talking about. We're going to continue uh, talking about that today as we look at an encounter that Jesus has in Mark chapter 5. I heard a story. It was from a mom who was talking about a time when she was in high school. She, she shared with me about a time that she tried out to be a cheerleader her freshman year of high school. She didn't make it. That's oftentimes the case with many of us who try out for things. But Thankfully, she had the next year where she was able to try out again. So she tried out her freshman year. She didn't make it, but she tries out again her sophomore year. And she shares the story. She says, one morning, all the cheerleaders came to her house to congratulate her for making the team. That was a normal thing. Whoever made the team, all the rest of the cheerleaders that were already on the team would show up and they would congratulate the new members. So they knocked on the door and they yelled, surprise. And the cheering and the screaming began to ensue. Now, this girl in particular, this mom, she was thrilled until the mom who was driving the car with all the girls said, hold on, everybody, we went to the wrong house. It's not this Kathy. Thought that would be funnier, but maybe it's a little more hurtful. The story to me when I was hearing it at first, my response was to laugh, right? That was a long time ago. I think that surely shouldn't have that much of an impact anymore. But really, my response probably should have been, ouch, right? It's a terrible memory for that particular girl. And as I thought about it, here's what I realized. I could think of numerous times that I've tried out for something and I didn't make it or uh, wanted to be a part of something and someone else told me otherwise or uh, moved to a new place only to be labeled as the new kid who just, just didn't seem to uh, fit in anywhere or sounding different or looking different and really just being different. I thought to myself, there have been plenty of times that I've been labeled in a way that I never wanted to be labeled. Now, I would bet that most of us have experienced this type of situation. Maybe you tried out for a team and you didn't make it. Or maybe you applied for a job and you didn't get it. Or maybe you asked some girl out on a date and she shot you down. I bet that's happened to some of you that I've met in this room. Or maybe you were judged by the way you looked or some mistake that you've made in the past. I think that you could fill in the blank with anything that you want or any experience that you've had. I like to think about it like this. We've all dealt with what I like to call labels. Now, even beyond what others have labeled us as, we have also done some labeling of others. In fact, there are even groups that are labeled. I don't know if you know this, but First Baptist Church Saltilla has labels that people outside and inside these walls have placed on this church. And the truth is, is that labels are oftentimes not accurate. 
the labels placed on you and the labels that you place on others. Think about the times that you've been labeled for one simple thing or the time you've labeled others because of one simple thing. You may not really even know them, but you already place a label on them. Listen, labels are nothing new. They happen in the Bible as well. The most popular one that comes to my mind is a guy by the name of Thomas. Most of us don't refer to him as Thomas. We refer to him as the one time that he doubted something from Jesus. And from then on, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. This guy is a great disciple of Jesus. He does incredible things for Christ after his resurrection. But all most people remember is that he didn't believe Jesus was alive until he placed his hands in the scarred hands of Jesus. And from that moment on, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. One of the things I also know about labels is that they're hard to peel off. Have any of you ever experienced that moment when you were about to eat an apple? I wish I could tell you that I've experienced more moments of eating apples, but that's probably not the case. But I can think about moments when I go to eat an apple at my house, and the first thing that you have to do is fight to get that little sticker off, that little label off that's on the apple. And what typically happens is you fight so much that you eventually bruise or cut or damage the apple, or you're like me and you just go, you know what, what's a little piece of paper? And you eat it. <laughs> labels can be hard to peel off. Now listen, labels are a big deal. I'm certainly not denying that. They have the potential to hurt people. They have the potential to make people feel great. Labels have a lot of power over our lives. As a matter of fact, just think about some of the people that we've talked about in this series over the last several weeks. We talked about a name, Zacchaeus, who was labeled as a tax collector. We talked about a guy named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. We talked about the woman who was caught in adultery. Do we know anything else about that woman? No. All we know is about that one moment, that one decision. We talked about a blind man. We don't know anything about him, but you know what we call him? The blind man. Why? Because he was blind. That was his label. There was the paralyzed man. There was Barabbas, the murderer, who was spared so that Jesus would die. And there was Pilate, the one who condemned Jesus to death. There was the Canaanite woman. There was the woman at the well. There was the man with a legion of demons that no one wanted to be around who was chained into a graveyard. We know nothing about him other than the fact that no one wanted to be around him. And then there's Peter, the disciple who denied that he even knew Jesus while Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. And I thought to myself, all of these have something in common. They all have labels, but I thought about something else. They have another thing that's in common. Every single one of them left their encounter with Jesus, not the same. Which made me think about a question for this morning. What if you could change whatever label you may be carrying? What if you could change the label that others have placed on you regardless of how long you've been known that way? Danny, you don't understand. I've been divorced and I can never peel that label. Danny, I've been addicted to drugs or alcohol and I can never peel that label. Danny, I've abandoned my kids. I can never peel that label. Danny, I've made so many mistakes. I can never peel that label. People will always think of me the way they think of me. Danny, I've gossiped. I've cheated. I've betrayed. I've lied. I've abandoned. You fill in the blank. Listen, I don't care what the label is that you have on your life. Every single one of us have them. But what if you could change it. I got some bad news. You can't. But I've got some good news. Jesus can. 
As a matter of fact, I got a silly little statement that you may think's a dad joke, and it's okay if you giggle, but I really do believe it. Here's the statement. Jesus is able to change your label. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Let me read this story to you. This encounter of Jesus, it's in Mark chapter five. I'm gonna start reading in verse number 25. Let's look at what happens in this encounter with Jesus. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he, talking about Jesus, said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Listen, I was reading this story and I thought to myself, none of us have a label quite like this lady's label. None of us probably have suffered in the way in which she'd suffered. None of us had been outcasted in the way in which she had been outcasted. And one thing that stood out to me in particular is that even though her label was extremely hard to peel off, Jesus, the only one who could, was able to change her label. And in this encounter with him, everything that she had known before was flipped upside down and her entire life changed from this encounter. Why? Because everybody who encounters Jesus leaves not the same. As a matter of fact, I wanna show you a few things that I was reminded of about our story while I was reading about her story. Here was the first one. I was reminded of our condition. Look back at verse 25, it says there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now in this encounter, we meet a woman who's been sick for a really long time. She has a disease that no one can help her with. Now what's interesting about this story is that it's in a context of another man, a religious leader who comes to Jesus to ask for healing for his daughter. She's about to die. I don't think it's a coincidence that the daughter who had brought so much joy to one man's life was 12 years old and this woman who had a disease that had caused her to suffer for so long had also happened for 12 years. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is about to do something for a religious leader and he's about to do something for an insignificant woman, one that everybody knows, one that nobody's ever heard of, one that's in one situation, one that's in another, but both of them have something in common. They both need Jesus. Now friends, here's what I know as I was reading about her story and I was reminded of her condition, I was reminded of my own because you know what? My story may be a little bit different than hers, but do you know where it's the same? I equally am in need of Jesus. Now what we know about this woman is that because she's had this sickness, she would have been considered in their culture as ritually unclean. As a matter of fact, if you wanna read more about the details of that, you can go to Leviticus chapter 15 and knock your socks off. 
Now, here's what I know. We're not certain what exactly was wrong with this woman, whether she had complications from childbirth, whether she had a fibroid tumor of the uterus, whether she had some form of cancer, whether it was some female problems of whatever kind. We don't know what the issue is with this woman. What we know is she has a disease that can't be helped. What we also know is that in Jewish culture, being ritually unclean was a temporary problem eventually you would do whatever it took to get ritually clean. Now this was various actions depending on whatever the issue was for you. However, her temporary ritual uncleanness, which would have kept her, by the way, from typical social gatherings like worship, spending time with family, dining with friends, her temporary problem that should have lasted maybe uh, a few weeks, if not uh, days, this temporary ritual uncleanness that should have been solved has lasted for 12 years. And you say, Danny, what does that mean? What this probably means is that she was an outcast. What this probably means is that she was in the same category as such diseases like leprosy, which meant that she couldn't even live in the city around regular people around her own family. As a matter of fact, it's possible due to the length of her disease that she would have been banished outside of the city to live in a colony of people who were also outcasts and labeled as unclean. Now, just to give you a proper perspective of this, people oftentimes would write stories about how when someone had a disease in which they were deemed unclean, they would have a funeral in their honor before they were banished outside of the city. In other words, they were alive, but they would be proclaimed as dead. Now, you may be here and think that you've got a bad label. You might think you've done some things, people look at you a certain way, you've got some past, some baggage, some issues that you can't shake. You might be here and think that you've got a bad label, but I bet no one has held a funeral for you and told you that you were officially dead. Friends, listen to me. She's having a bad day. As a matter of fact, not just one bad day, she's having 12 years worth of bad days, and I was reminded of our condition. Look back at verse 26. She's got this issue, and by the way, she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. William Barclay writes about the the Talmud, which is some commentary on the Torah for the Jewish law. He writes about how there are 11 cures in the Talmud for this particular type of disease. In fact, he writes about one of them that included carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in linen cloth. I can't even say it. Such ludicrous things that this woman would have had to went through, uh, go through in order to try to cure her suffering. Listen, she had spent all her money on doctors and no one could help. She had tried every possible way and nothing would fix it. In fact, the problem didn't even slow down. It kept getting worse. Now think about this lady just for a second. She's been suffering a great deal for 12 years. She's been in a lot of pain. She's also spent all that she had. She's broke and has nothing else to offer. Do you know why she doesn't see any more physicians? Do you know why they're not trying any more experiments on her? Because she's got no more money to pay them. She was no better, even when she did everything that she could to make things better. She's probably abandoned by her own family because she's an outcast and unclean. 
and contact or association with her would make them also outcasts and unclean. As a matter of fact, I wrote this down. It's safe to say that she was left bleeding, bankrupt, and broken. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a worse condition to be in. And then I was reminded of our condition. Listen, you might be in here and you feel like you're in this type of desperate situation with no hope. Danny, you just don't understand what I'm doing. There's nothing or no one that can help me. I've tried everything. Well, I read this from Matthew Henry this week. He wrote these words, Jesus will be found a sure refuge, even to those who make him their last refuge. Listen, her condition, bleeding, bankrupt, broken, it's really not any different than our condition today. Maybe you've tried everything else and nothing helped. Can I ask you something, friends? Have you tried Jesus? He might be your last resort, but I guarantee he will be your lasting refuge. I was reminded of our condition. Let me show you the second thing I was reminded of. I was reminded of our commitment. Let me look at verse 27 again. Here's what it says. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Can we just praise God for a moment? Heard the reports about Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't leave you where you were, but that at some point you heard about a man who could change everything? She heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. I wonder if this woman heard what Jesus had done for so many others before her. As a matter of fact, just according to Mark's gospel, let me share a few things that have happened before this woman reaches out and touches Jesus' garments. Jesus cast a demon out of a man in Mark chapter 1. He heals Peter's mother-in-law from sickness, also in Mark chapter 1. Again in Mark chapter 1, he healed many people of sickness and demon possession from sun up till sundown. Again in Mark chapter 1, he heals a man with leprosy. Then we move to Mark 2. All Jesus does is heal a man who's been paralyzed for a long time. Then we move to Mark chapter 3, and he heals a man with a withered hand. Then we move to Mark chapter 4, and Jesus commands a storm to stop. Then we move into Mark chapter 5, and he casts out more demons from a man and sends them into pigs. All we know is that it was as if they were a legion of demons. And I wonder, after he Hearing what Jesus had done for all these other people, did she not think, why wouldn't he heal her? I mean, think about it. After hearing the power that Jesus had, she knew there was nowhere else to go but him. But also, listen, what an interesting place we find this woman. She knew she was an outcast from society and she was not supposed to be around people, much less even touch them. And if she couldn't touch regular, ordinary people, then certainly she shouldn't touch the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Matthew's account gives us a little more detail to her faith. It says, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. You know what she knows? If I can barely, just a little bit, touch Jesus. I can be changed. Now, typically when I read this verse, I always think that it's awesome that even Jesus' clothes have power. However, I think it's more about this woman's willingness to reach out and touch his clothes because she was risking everything that she had. 
Also, I wonder if her shyness was really about how unworthy she felt to even be in Jesus's presence. I think about other moments in scripture where this is true. Think about John the Baptist when he described Jesus in John chapter one, verse 27, when he said, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Or I think about Peter back in Luke 5, 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Also, I think about this particular woman and I go, wasn't she worried that she would make Jesus unclean? And all I could think about was this, if diseases listen to his command, she had absolutely nothing to worry about. So look back at verse 29, look at this, and immediately, she reaches out, she touches his garment, and immediately, The flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. All it took was touching the clothes that Jesus had on to get healed of her disease. She was right. She was right in thinking that if she only touched him, her life would be changed forever. She didn't have to bargain. She didn't have to beg. She didn't even have to have a conversation with him. All she had to do was reach out and trust. And I wonder, I thought about this. I'm reading this scripture and I wonder, what would it take for some of us to get bold and crazy enough to let go of everything in our life that's holding us back and reach through it all to take hold of Jesus? C.S. Lewis wrote that pain plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. I thought how many rebels might be in the room today who need to realize that there is something better than the pain that you live in. There is a savior who can rid you of it all if you will commit and reach out and trust in him regardless of what may be trying to keep you back. Listen, don't forget how Mark described what this woman did in verse 27. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Listen, not even the crowd could hold her back this time. When we make Jesus our first priority, he will never disappoint. Listen, Jesus is right here, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to reach out. She had the commitment to reach out through the crowd, to reach out in her current condition. And I was reminded of our own commitment. Will you reach out and take hold of Jesus? By the way, she wasn't healed before she reached out. By the way, she didn't get everything perfect. She didn't get everything together. She didn't get all churchy and all good enough and all, I gotta get these things right before she reached out. No, it was in the moment where she realized she had nowhere else to go and her condition was beyond anything she could ever do that she had to step through the crowd and reach out and risk it all and say, I trust that he can do for me what no one else can do for me. And I thought to myself, who in this room will will have that kind of commitment today. To say, Jesus, I don't care what it takes. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who knows. I don't care who's watching. I don't care what the crowd may think or not think or who wants to try to hold me back. I'm not going to listen to the lies anymore. Jesus, here I am. I am reaching out for you. I was reminded of our commitment. Let me show you this one too, though. I was reminded of our confession. Look back at verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. By the way, I wonder what that must feel like. 
perceiving in himself that the healing power of Jesus had went out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? He knew, right? Immediately he knew power had left him. Someone had been healed. Now here's what I thought. I was reading this and I thought to myself, couldn't Jesus have just kept on going? Couldn't he have just ignored this moment? No one else knew it happened. Everybody else is pressing around him. Who cares, Jesus? Just keep on walking. In fact, he doesn't even have to stop to find out who touched his clothes because Jesus knew exactly who touched his clothes. Why? Why stop? I think the reason why he wants to make her known is because Jesus isn't interested in redemption without relationship. Can I tell you that again, friends? Listen to me. He's not interested in saving you and leaving you. He is interested in redemption that only moves into a relationship that will last for the rest of your life. Don't miss this, because listen, here's what I know. Some of us might want salvation without submission. Some of us might want forgiveness without following. Some of us are willing to make a decision, but we're not willing to be a disciple. Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus is less concerned with your happiness, and he's more concerned with your holiness. You can't have a crown without carrying the cross. He wants you to have redemption, but more than that, he wants you to have a relationship. He needs her confession. Look at this. His disciples, verse 31, said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you say who touched me. You know, we could go through instance after instance after instance of where the disciples just still didn't get it. Matter of fact, I'm not going to share them all with you because we might be here for a little while, but here's what I know. They just continually miss what Jesus actually desires from their lives. I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning who right now you're hearing about this condition. You're hearing about this commitment. You're hearing about this confession. You're looking at this woman's life and you're thinking back on your own experience and you're saying this, I think I missed it. Don't be like those disciples. Instead, be like this woman. Look at verse 32. I'm, I'm finishing. Look at this. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. There it is. There's the confession that Jesus requires. In fact, in Luke's account, everyone else denied that they touched Jesus. Here's how it says it in Luke, Luke 8, 45. It says, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Everybody else denied it. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. I didn't touch you. Not here, right? No one wanted to speak up. This woman, she knew that she was not permitted to be there, much less touch someone. Surely she was afraid of what people would say and what would happen to her for disobeying years of tradition. Her fear may derive not only from her awe in the presence of the miraculous healer and the general embarrassment of the situation, but also from the awareness that in touching Jesus without permission, she has made him ritually unclean. But even in her fear and trembling, which by the way, she should have had in this moment. Was she scared of Jesus. No. She was scared of what would happen because she did something she was told her whole life not to do. 
But even in risking it all, she could not deny that something great had happened to her life. Everyone else in the crowd may have been denying it, but she couldn't deny it. She told him the whole truth. I love how Luke describes it in Luke chapter 8, verse 47. Listen to it. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, in other words, you can hide from everybody else in this room. Can I tell you that? You can't hide from Jesus. She was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. She declared it. She confessed, I'm the one. I touched you. I've been healed. I thought to myself, what starts as a touch always leads to a testimony. Listen, what may start as Jesus moving in the quiet moments between you and him will eventually become opportunities to encourage others with what Jesus has done for you. He wants our confession, not just for us, but so that the world can know that people have been changed by Jesus. We cannot deny what he's done. As a matter of fact, I take this moment, I take this confession from this woman, the same as Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 10 when he wrote these words. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I wonder who might need to fall down on their knees before Jesus this morning confessing him as Lord of their lives. When Jesus heals, it is permanent and it is powerful. Maybe you're here and you've said that Jesus has changed your life, but he really hasn't. I wonder if you look back on her condition and her commitment and her confession, I wonder if you realize, you know what? I need this. I need Jesus. I was reminded of our confession. Can I show you this last one? It's a short one. I was reminded of our confidence. Look back at verse 34. And he said to her, he doesn't leave her, by the way. He doesn't ignore what happened. He doesn't keep walking and go, huh. Told y'all somebody touched me. No, he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Listen, I think he proves our confidence in him in several different ways. In fact, there are three of them with this woman. Watched it. The first thing he did was he sealed her faith. He said, your faith has made you well. There were a lot of people touching Jesus that day, but only one touched him and left changed. Only one touched and trusted. There are a lot of people today who encounter Jesus, but they leave there without following him. The phrase made you well literally could be translated, you have been saved. He sealed her faith. He also stilled her fear. Look at this. He said, go in peace. She no longer had to be an outcast. She was healed not only from her sickness, but also from her separation. She could finally live her life. He stilled her fear. He also secured her future. Be healed of your disease. No more suffering, no more pain. Ultimately, no more separation from society or from the sanctuary. As a matter of fact, listen to me. Jesus does something here that he never does anywhere else in the gospels. He calls her daughter. She goes in a moment from diseased to daughter. She goes from cast out to child. She goes from outcast by others to overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of Jesus. In one moment, she is given a new label. She is accepted. What about you 
in here today? Do you connect with this encounter as much as I do? We've all been hit with labels throughout our lives. They could be our own labels or maybe a label that someone else has given us. However, listen to me, friends, Jesus is able to change our label. You say, Danny, what does that look like for me today? Well, let me just throw a couple things at you. Maybe, maybe you're reminded of your condition today. Maybe you also feel like you're bleeding and bankrupt and broken. Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus waits for you today. Maybe you're reminded of your commitment today. Are you willing to reach through the crowd in order to get to Jesus? Are you willing to courageously come to Christ even though the crowd around you has always tried to hold you back? Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus waits for you today. Maybe you're reminded of your confession today. Have you confessed your sin and brokenness to Jesus and confessed him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Confession is demanded for change to be delivered. Jesus waits for you today. Listen, maybe you're reminded of your confidence today. Don't forget that Jesus is the one who redeemed you. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one who casts out all fears. He is the one who holds your future in his hands. Do you need to be reminded of your confidence? Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus waits for you today. Listen, don't let anything in your life label you other than Jesus. He is all we need. Will you let Jesus, the only one who is able, change your label? Listen, I don't know where you are right now this morning. No idea. I don't know what kind of things you're struggling with. I don't know what the Lord's been showing you. I don't know what you need to step out on and you've been unwilling to step out on it. But can I tell you something? Where you've been and what you've done and what your life looks like, it really doesn't matter right now from this moment on. I don't care about your past. Jesus wants to redeem your future. Will you surrender to Jesus today? Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus is waiting on you. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you. Jesus, you are awesome.